Good morning. All right, you guys ready? Well, it's been a great week. You know, we have uh, Bree and Levante are back. I think Levante looks a little wiser. A few weeks of marriage will do that to you, right? Yeah, you get married, you find out how selfish you are, right? Am I right in saying that? Okay. I'm very excited for Dontrell. Um, really, uh, he really came at it full force. I was really super impressed. Uh, like uh, Malik shared, he made all these changes before he got here, and he was ready to go. He's like, two, two times a day, come on, let's go, let's go. It's awesome. Now he's, he's back, and uh, he's uh, Dontrell 2.0, so uh, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> uh, we have some sisters from Indy here, right? Okay. Uh, now, I might butcher this a little bit. Couché? Is that? Oh, I got it right. And Sierra are here, so make sure everybody hugs them before they leave. You know that today is officially the first day of spring. Baby. You got to love those 60-degree weather days. Um, and, you know, Mother Nature just kind of teases you, throws it out there. Oh, let's have some snow. And you're like, come on, let's move on this. You know, it's really uh, been an incredible and challenging week. Uh, I think about what uh, is going on with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And, uh, of course, this Wednesday, uh, we were called for, to a day of fair, uh, fasting and prayer. And also donation, just donating to, uh, to help out the church. Of course, as a result, we're starting a church in Poland, Warsaw, Poland. And uh, we're hiring the sisters from the Ukraine, as the husbands could not come. They couldn't leave the country. And these sisters are dedicated to really working with the refugees. And it really is a, a high call to think about what they're going through. They have their kids. And, and then I send on WhatsApp a, a picture of, you know, all these children that are kind of orphans. And it's uh, really amazing to see, you know, Kip just went at it. Just, okay, we need to jump on this thing. We need to meet the needs. And he rallied, rallied the church worldwide. And uh, I, I wanted to encourage you, if I know it was short notice, if you couldn't uh, give on Wednesday, you know, it's still open for you to give, to donate, to help out. And uh, I know there's an urgency to this thing. And it's very convicting when you think about all the third world countries that have helped out. Okay, you got New Delhi, you got Calcutta, Chennai, Bangalore, all from India. Now you realize how poor they are in India. I shared this before, in New York we would send them $500 a month and they could put on 17 full-time staff with $500 a month. And yet they're rallying around to help out the Ukraine. Of course, uh, Manila, Kathmandu and Phnom Penh also uh, giving to meet the needs because they understand what neediness is. It's very convicting. And at the end of the service today, what we're going to do is we're going to, for those who can, just come up front here. We're going to uh, send a video 
uh, to the Ukraine. Candace is in charge of this thing, and she's working with all the churches to send like a three-minute video to, to encourage our brothers and sisters, not just in Ukraine, but in uh, Moscow and Russia. And uh, really what it's going to do is, is help them to, we are with you. And we're going to do the, we love you with the love of the Lord. We're going to have everybody come up here, and that's right after we're done. Okay, so I'd encourage you guys, if you could stick around, do so uh, for that. Matthew 25, verse 40, you don't have to turn there. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so this is how we got to look at, you know, this is God's children. God hurts uh, for his children, and really we can make a difference. It opens the hearts of people. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared how Jesus in the scriptures... Uh, the four, four Gospels, in fact, uh, said to follow me 114 times. Uh, what do you think he was trying to get across there? Follow him. Follow him. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a high calling to walk like Jesus. And, of course, this Ukraine thing is what, what we're all about, meeting the needs. It is truly a road less traveled. And that's the title of my lesson today. The road less traveled. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at some things that Jesus shared about traveling on that road. Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 13. Kind of a common passage. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now that's a tense little passage there. He's saying only a few. Well, where's a few mean? What do you mean by that, Jesus? And really, you got to grapple with the fact that this is Jesus saying it. Is it true then? There's a truth here. And it's kind of shocking when you read it, but then when you dwell on it, you realize, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to understand it because so many follow the large path, uh, the, the uh, wide gate. And it doesn't take you long to look at how many destructive lives are out there. How people are damaging not only themselves, but each other. The shootings, you hear about it in Milwaukee, it's, it's becoming common, and it shouldn't. The shootings, the drugs, the sexual sin, the divorce, the rape, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What's implicated here is that they're searching for it. And a lot of people aren't. They're just kind of doing their own thing. And you realize, and you look at this, and, and you know that so very few people have happy lives. It's just not happy. And this is why. This is what it comes down to. And he says, I can give you life that is truly life. Why do they do it? Simply because they choose to. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses is writing this, and he kind of says a few things that are the same. 
starting in verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor it is beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Wow. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Of course, we know the word blessed means to be superlatively happy. But if your heart turns away and you do not and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you to this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him. The Lord, your God, the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land as he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, this is an intense passage, just like we read in Matthew. And it's saying a lot of the same things. He's saying, you know, hey, choose life. That is truly life. And there is a path. It's a choice of what we're going to do. And he says it's not difficult. It's not beyond your reach. You understand it. You get it. A lot of people make excuses. <laughs> that, oh, I don't know. It's so... Well, you have a Bible. Have you just opened it? Have you read it? It's not beyond you. You can get it. And he says, I'm setting before you a choice. Life and prosperity. Death. And destruction. Hmm. Boy, that's a tough one. Hmm. What should I choose? Boy, this is, huh, what do I do here? Help me. What? And then later in verse 19, he says, life or death, blessings or curses. Hmm, another tough one. Let me think this through. Now choose life. And God makes it as simple as that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to get this one. And it just says, love God. Isn't that the two greatest commandments? Didn't Jesus say something like that too? Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Imagine if that was our world, if everybody just loved each other. And that is what Jesus is calling us to do. But it's a narrow path, and very few go that way. He talks about destruction here. Same thing in Matthew 7. People choose destruction. It's just really mind-boggling. Uh, if you do this, you know what's going to happen? Yeah. And they go on their way and they suffer for it. 
And it's kind of like, there must be a mental block here or something. I don't get this. And have you ever known someone, and maybe it's you, I'm just throwing that out there, but you keep doing the same thing over and over, trying to expect a different result. And you're like, not working. And we can be like that. We can be thick-headed. You know, a number of years ago, in my earlier days, in my youth, I used to do a lot of backpacking in the mountains. All right? Yeah. And uh, we, I went to the Gila Mountains in New Mexico. We were up there for like 11 days or something like that. And it's really kind of radical because it's like uh, 60 degrees during the day and zero at night. So when the sun goes down, so do you. All right? Everything just kind of gets frozen up. And we were there in January, right? And uh, we have a map. And this was in 1980, so we didn't have phones and stuff. And I don't think you get anything up there anyways. But anyways, you're, we have a map we're trying to follow. And of course, after a while, you just can't find the path. But I remember time and time again, we had choices. And we, we would decide to go in the more uh, abandoned paths. Man, we're going to do this. And I remember one time we're walking along, and all of a sudden we come into this area, and there's like bones as far as you could see. I'm like, this is kind of creepy. And there was horse bones, and there was every kind of animal you could think of, bones all over the place. We kind of looked at each other, and we're like, what the heck is this? And then we came to realize this has got to be where, like, wolves congregate. This is a wolf den or something like that. And we're like, let's get out of here. And see, sometimes the paths that we go, we stumble on things that are dangerous. And sometimes the paths that we decide to go, they're a little treacherous and scary, but it's the right path. I remember uh, going a little farther... Uh, a few days later, a blizzard comes in. Now, you're up in the mountains, so you get, when a blizzard comes in, it comes in. And we decide, we got to get out of here. We don't want to be stuck, you know, and, and we can't move, we can't find things, all, all sorts of stuff. And we decide uh, to pull out the map again, and we find a, uh, in the map, there's a place called Hell's Hole. We're like, boy, that sounds promising. That's exciting. And what it was, literally, was on both sides, it would come down really thin, boom. And we're 7,000 feet up. And this is a river on the bottom. And we're like, this is not going to be easy. And sure enough, I'm walking along, and I slip, and I go over the edge. And my backpack catches on to some branches. My heart's going like this, and... Yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm good. That kind of thing. But we knew the way to safety was a scary way to go. And following Jesus can be incredibly scary. Because what happened to Jesus? He died. He was tortured to death. And Jesus saying, follow me. Now, we we have in our lives so many times to make decisions about which path we're going to go. Some are good. Where am I going to go to college? What am I going to study? Who am I going to marry? Now, I lucked out on that one, didn't I? You know, guys, huh? 
But then sometimes we make bad decisions. We get someone pregnant. And then maybe one night you decide to go out drinking. And accident. Something major happens that changes your life because of a stupid decision. So why do we choose destruction? Simply because we're selfish. How do we overcome it? Luke chapter 9. I'm talking. <laughs> Luke chapter 9. I'll let Jesus talk to you. All right. Luke 9, verse 23. This is, this is his words. Luke 9, 23. <clears throat> Once again, Jesus' words. Then he said to them all, if anyone, who's he talking to? Anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Point number one is denial of self. Jesus saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you want to be a Christian, a disciple, this is what it's going to take. Now, he's the head of the church. You know, this is what he's saying. He says, first of all, you must deny self. In other words, you can't be selfish and walk with me not acceptable. The question is, are you a selfish person? Not acceptable to Jesus. You're going to follow me, you walk with me, you're going to claim Christianity, you've got to deny self. And he says, you must do it. And see, this is the narrow road. It's not an option. That's what Jesus says. Why? Because selfishness will destroy your relationships, especially your relationship with God. Now, a lot of times, we are controlled by how, how we feel. I feel tired. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to do it. I feel tired. I'm tired. Like, that's an excuse. I feel lazy. I feel angry. You know, like Vlad was talking about his stomach. They call that hangry. Yeah. They get angry. I'm hungry. Well, try praying, thinking about Jesus on the cross and telling him how you feel. Doesn't, doesn't work. We allow these things to stop us from doing what's right. And we feel we have an excuse. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, not acceptable. Selfishness destroys relationships. In Matthew 26, we're going to turn there. We're looking at an example of this. You know, Jesus said he was overwhelmed to the point of death. He didn't feel like going to the cross. Actually, let's go to Luke 23. That's a good one, too? All right. Luke 23. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross, and he did it. That's, now, that's a road of suffering. But then he says, follow me. And so there's a decision to do what you don't want to do. You know it's going to cause suffering. It's scary, but you got to do it. 
because it's the right thing to do. And that's how you change the world. That's how Jesus changed the world. Well, let's look at an example of a guy here. Luke 23, we're going to talk about Pilate. Now, you've got to understand that Pilate was a Roman governor and a, a judge. And the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, but they couldn't do it. Why? Because Rome owned them. And they had to do it their way. So they bring Jesus to Pilate. Let's look at what happens here. It says, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of, of taxes to, to Caesar and claims to be Christ the king. Now, was all that true? No. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Okay, so Pilate believes that Jesus should be set free. Believes it. He should have just said, hey, I don't care. He's okay. We're setting him free. But he doesn't do it. And now he's, he's got a choice to make. Am I going to do what's right or am I going to give in to the crowd? And then he does what a lot of us do. He finds a way out. Wait, Herod, oh, Herod's jurisdiction. Let me send him there. And I don't have to deal with this. And we can do that, too, in life. Yeah. You know, we don't want to deal with something. Let's, let's hand the problem off to our spouse. Ooh, ooh. Not that that would happen here. Pilate says he's not worthy of death. Not worthy of that. He should let him go. Sometimes we do the, the blame game. You know, we blame others and so on and so forth. Look in verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and chief, the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice, they cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for, uh, for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. The one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. What an intense situation. You know, he, he's struggling with what to do. Well, do what's right. 
You know it's right. You've said it numerous times. He's done nothing. Herod, he sends him to Herod. What does Herod do? Send him back. Your problem. And sometimes you play, what, what is that, hot potato? You know? And you get caught with the potato, and the time goes on. And says, ah, you know, that kind of thing. But for disciples, the road less traveled is to do what's right. Come what may. Come what may. Will you suffer for it? Yeah, probably. But Jesus is saying, this is my expectation. This is what I did. Now follow me. And see, the problem a lot of times is it's not going to go away. Sometimes we try to put a Band-Aid on an open wound. Doesn't work. If you're a homeowner, you know what I'm talking about. Buy a home. Oh, this thing looks awesome. This is phenomenal. Look at this thing. And then after a year, you're seeing all the stuff that you got to deal with, that you got to fix. You know, they painted, they painted rotting wood, you know, and they just covered up. That's, you know, nothing that a, a, a coat of paint can't take care of, right? And what's going to happen? All of a sudden, that wood's falling on. It's like, well, I painted it. What, what happened? And that's what we try to do in life. We try to just do enough to get by. And, and that doesn't work. People suffer for the do enough to get by. The problem will always resurface. Jesus wanted to release Jesus, says three times that that's what he tried to do. And the, the people would not buy into it. They, they held their ground. <clears throat> you know, for relationships, this is, can be very painful. Don't deal with the problem. You don't really forgive. You let things go on. You don't really deal with it. Then you try to sit down and talk to them and try to dig. And No, I'm not going there. Nope, nope. You know, let's move forward. I'm all about moving forward. Well, you can't really move forward until you deal with the issues. I remember Barb and I one time uh, a few years ago were studying with a married couple. And they both had been married before, and they, they were now married. And the first time we got with them, the wife says, uh, we have an issue, and we'd like you to help us deal with it. We're like, okay, awesome. What is it? And she said, well, uh, I was married to this guy, and I still have a very close relationship with him. And I talk to him all the time. And he doesn't like it. Tell him that it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not okay. Yeah, but he makes me feel good. <laughs> okay, this is going to work really well. No, you got to get rid of him. Cut the strings. And sometimes those are painful. You, you love your husband? All right, he's got to be number one. And you got to deal with the issues that are going to harm the relationship. In Deuteronomy, Moses writes, hey, they have worshipped other gods. And those gods we have in our life, too. We love money. Maybe a title, a career. Maybe it's other relationships. But we begin to worship other gods. And God says, no, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the narrow road. 
But it's the path to freedom. It's the path to joy. Pilate was a coward. And he wouldn't deal with the issues. Imagine you're Jesus watching this. The crowd is swaying Pilate. And you're like, imagine you're on trial. And you see the, the crowd swaying the judge. How does that make you feel? Very unjust. And yet, we can do that. We can be an unjust judge. Because we want to just make people happy. We just want to be their friend. That's not being their friend. And it comes back to bite you. That's just how it is. Fear and selfishness will destroy relationships. Denial of self says, I'm going to deal with my fear, and I'm not going to be a coward like Pilate. And so he throws another thing out there. All right? He says in verse 20, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they crowded, kept, uh, they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He says, I have found no, in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. Like that's going to appease him. Okay, let me just beat him. Let me flog him. Are we okay with that? And they're like, no, we want him dead. And sometimes we try to compromise. I'll go halfway. How about you? You want to go halfway? All right. I'm trying to work with you here. And compromise is not the way to go. Are you 100% committed to God or not? We compromise our relationship with Jesus because we want to appease people. You can't do it. They're not going to think you're the real deal. And they may be angry and they may hate you, but they'll respect you. Because you'll be a man of conviction, a woman of conviction. And that is a narrow road. So few people have deep convictions. In Luke 9, verse 23, you don't have to go back there. He says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Taking up your cross means you deal with sin. And that's dealing with selfishness. But then he says, follow me. That's point number two. Follow me. Now, this is taking the road even more narrow. You can deny self, and that's what he's calling us to do, but now you've got to aggressively follow Jesus. That's a whole other standard. That's saying, all right, not only am I going to deal with selfishness, but now I'm going to do the things Jesus did, which got him in trouble. I'm going to be able to engage with people. I'm going to be aggressive to rescue them. A lot of people don't want rescuing. Leave me alone. Look in Matthew chapter 20. How are you guys holding up? Oh, yeah, I just wondering. Matthew tw chapter 20. <laughs> now, Jesus with the uh, apostles, and they're fired up. You know, Jesus healing people, walking on water, doing all sorts of crazy things. And they're like, this is awesome. And he's like, yeah, well, you don't get it. All right? And uh, we can start in verse, chapter 20, verse 20. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked for the favor of him. What, do you, what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that the one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left 
in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking. So he said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Yet we can't, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now, a lot of people want to be in the limelight. They want to be noticed. They want to, you know, hey, here I am. So, and they don't want to have to drink the cup to get there. And you have a lot of leaders who don't lead by lifestyle. There's a difference. And Jesus saying, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're talking about. And a lot of times we can make decisions and not think, what does this decision imply? Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be what? Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying this leadership is different than what you find in the world. In the world, you have people lorded over you. They tell you what to do. There's not a relationship part in there. Do this, do that, or else you get fired. And people will tend to be authoritative. And Jesus is saying, you know, the way to be great before God is to serve. And he says, I'm the example. He says it. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he gave his life. Are you willing to give your life for others? <clears throat> now, in the eyes of the world... A servant is a low position. Yeah. Low position. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's, that's why this is a, a road less traveled. People don't want to be looked at as low. They want to be respected. They want people to say, you're awesome and amazing. But the whole idea of a servant isn't something that people really want to aggressively attack. Let's look at an example of this. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, starting verse 1. Now, the church had a problem. It was growing too fast. It's a good problem to have. And the apostles realized we can't do it all. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. So the twelve, who are the twelve? Apostles gathered all the disciples together, which you're talking thousands of people. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. All right, now you got to understand the dynamics here. What were the apostles doing? They were waiting on tables, thousands of people. This is a role for the apostles. It's like, wow, why would you do that? And they began to realize, hey, we need to uh, hand this responsibility off because there's other things we need to do. You would think that would have happened earlier, right? 
But their focus was choose seven men who are known to be what? Full of the Spirit and give them that job. Now they're going to wait on table. It's like, wow. Well, what's the Spirit? Known to be full of the Spirit. What, what kind of Spirit? Spirit of humility. Spirit of serving. Because that's what Jesus called us to do. Imagine if we lived in a world where everybody just wanted to serve each other. Wouldn't that be crazy? That's what we're trying to do here. That was the goal. A spirit of humility. It, it communicates humility that the leader is willing to go where the people are. It communicates an example. And it communicates, I'm not too good to do this stuff. I'm going to do what you do. The question is, does this describe you? Would you have been one of the, the seven chosen? Would they said, hey, that's, that's my God. And really, that's what we are to attain to. Jesus calls us to do that. Once again, people love titles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. You know, it's always amazing to me when people come to the church and they treat me a lot different than, than I'm normally treated here. All right? And it's because other churches treat the minister different. I remember in Chicago, there was a, a gal, it was her birthday, and uh, the father came, and uh, he brought this huge cake, and he wanted the whole church, and then we had about, I don't know, 350 in attendance or so, and after the church, or before the church, he said, can, can we do this? Can we cut the cake and have everybody? I said, sure, that'd be awesome. So as soon as the service was done, he came up to me, and he said, okay, everybody move out of the way. The pastor is coming. <laughs> I'm like, kind of liking this. And then he moves away, and we come to the cake, and he cuts the cake, and he says, this is for the pastor. Not for my daughter. Make that a little bigger right there. And it's kind of like, okay, I appreciate it, but that's not what this is all about. You know what I mean? Let me cut the cake. Let me serve it to you. That's got to be the spirit. But there's a, a difference in how people think. And we're going to look at this. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his what? Servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, 
Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside. Into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, here's the question. Do you think Jesus is serious about this? Absolutely. And God has given us all sorts of talents. God's the master here. We're the servants. And the question is, what are you doing with what God gave you? What is your spirit towards it? Are you going after it? Or are you just kind of hiding it? And not really using the talents that God has given you. <clears throat> it talks about serving the master. We can serve ourselves, and we can make a lot of money and all that, but it's about serving the master. And the first guy comes, and he's got five talents, and he duplicates it. And really, that's what it, uh, discipling is all about. You call people to follow Jesus as you are, and you duplicate yourself. Now they can do at least what you're doing. And it's a constant walk of growth. That's the narrow path. And it really is amazing to see people who have grown in this church. It really is. I, I have to hold up Max. You know, Max came into the church. He bolted. I'm done with this. Came to his senses. Okay. Comes back, and now he's like, he's made some dramatic changes, if you know what I mean. And he's, he's incredibly humble. The, the, the challenge, you know, Shane and I were getting with him, and, man, I had a hammer on his pride. And we all need that, right? But he accepted it. And now he's growing like crazy. He even made chili for the guys Thursday night. All right? He's helping, helping Vlad with that stomach thing, okay? So he wasn't hangry on Thursday night. So, but... What are you doing with what you've got? And so this guy says, hey, I've gained five more. And the res response from the master is, hey, you've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Mm -hmm. 
Come and share your master's happiness. Okay, and you think about it. If you have a business, and, and I've talked to people who have business, they'll ask me, do you have any good people in your congregation that will work? It's hard to find. You have a lot of lazy people, and they do enough to get by. But you get that one guy, and they're working hard. You're like, I'm going to give him more stuff to do because he's going to do a great job. He's going to give his heart, and he's going to do awesome. And so the busiest people are the ones that they'll ask to do it. Wait, I'm really busy. Yeah, that's why I'm asking you, because you'll find a way. You'll get it done. <clears throat> Jesus is saying the same thing about the kingdom. And then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the second guy, it's the same. But the third guy, all right, he says, I'm, I was afraid. And he gave in to his fear. That was his excuse. The other excuse is, hey, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Blaming God. A lot of people blame God for their lives. Why would you do this to me, God? I'm angry at you. And God's like, you're going to blame me? Look at what I've given you. All the things. But what are you doing with that? God is a convenient uh, person to, to blame. And people do it. They have their excuse. Then he says, I was afraid. You know, in Revelation 21, it says all cowards are going to go to hell. That's what it says. Why would that be? Because it's, it's an extreme act of selfishness. Jesus says you must deny self to be a follower. It's not wrong to be afraid. It's wrong to let your fear stop you from doing what's right. Because people suffer. It's the same thing with Pilate. We talked about that. And so he blames God, and God's like, you're worthless and you're lazy. Here's your reward. Boom. God is very serious about it. It's in red. Read your Bible. It's in red. I didn't write this. Okay. And so you, you can rationalize it away. You can excuse it away, but there it is. It's the road less traveled, but it's a glorious road. And God says, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you more because you were faithful with what, what I gave you. Are you faithful with what God has done? You know, I think about Judgment Day. That's going to be a scary day, right? And your name gets called. And you're coming like, you're, you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> your name, and you're looking up, and your screen of your, your life is up there. I don't know how it's going to be done, but anyways. And you can hear your thoughts, because it says you'll be judged by your thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, you know. But let's say, you know, you got Levante. It's his turn. He gets called. He's walking up. He's, you know, like. <laughs> I just see Levante coming up, okay? And all of a sudden, Jesus stands up and he goes, Well done. And Levante is just going to be bawling his brains out. <laughs> It was hard doing the wedding because he was crying up there. I don't know if you guys knew that. But what a glorious day. And I want to hear God say that to me. Well done. Proud of you. But it's a road less traveled to get there. You know, I, I rarely talk about politics. But I really have to talk about this Ukrainian leader. 
pretty impressive. They try to get him out of the country. He said, I'm not going. I'm going to stay here with the people. And in the beginning, he says, I know I'm going to die. But I will not abandon my people. And that heart is what's transformed the heart of the Ukrainians. It's amazing. It's a heart of denial. And he's in the trenches with them. And he's doing everything in his possibility to rescue the Ukraine. On the other hand, you look at the leader of Afghanistan. When things went bad, what happened to him? Gone. Not only did he leave, but he took all this money America had given the Afghans and just took it with him. How do people feel about that? You know, there's two different choices there. And, and Jesus is saying to us, hey, these are my people. I love them. I died for them. Are you with me? It's a lot of pain and suffering going on. You know, the last six weeks for the church have been very challenging. Why? Because it took a lot of serving. And I want to applaud you. You guys are amazing. The serving that you guys did, well done. There's a lot going on. We, we, we had to bring your neighbor day. Did you guys remember that? It seems like we did. That's right. It seems so long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. That took a lot of work. We even had Valentine's parties with all the decorating and all that. Then we had a, a wedding. Yeah, a wedding. And uh, the setup for the wedding and all the everything that everybody did. It was amazing. And they even moved the furniture, and I heard it was really cold. You know, you move quicker when it's cold, okay? You get that thing done quicker. And there was the Women's Day. That was awesome. That was a tremendously successful. 103 women attended that thing, and there's only 30, 34 women at that time. We've got two, two new members since then, all right? And now we're going to have another wedding. Now... Let's just say everybody's like, you know what? I'm done. Eh, no more. I've given. There's my love level. I'm done. Good luck with that, Malik. Love you. Hope it goes well. And, and you come there, and there's no decorations put up, you know. And just uh, there's Malik standing up there. The groomsmen aren't there. It's like, mm, how would that feel? You know, it's, it's about loving each other. You don't stop because you're tired. Why do we have so much success here? I believe it's this. Because you guys all have your own Bible. You know the expectation. This is a, a lot of this isn't new to you. It's just a decision. And it's a decision to keep going, to keep fighting. People are happy here. You see the relationships. That just doesn't happen. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, that doesn't just happen. That, that has to be forged. But people are happy here. And here's the thing. People keep coming back. The road is tough. It's hard. Dontrell's like, I'm out of here. You know, fine. He had attitudes and all sorts of stuff. Six months of wandering around the wilderness. As it says in the, in the prodigal son, it came to his senses. And he's like, I'm back. With a vengeance. I'm back. Let's do this, though. 
That's awesome. Why? Because even though it's tough, it's worth it. Max did the same thing. Took him a little longer, three years, right? But he came back. Why? Because once you're out there, you get what you, you reap what you sow. And here, there's a shelter of love, of encouragement. Are you going to be called out of your selfishness? Absolutely. Because selfishness destroys relationships. And it does damage. Bring your clothes in Philippians chapter 2. You guys feel challenged? Well, let's take it higher. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 5. <clears throat> well, let's start in verse 4. It's good stuff. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, there's that word, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus set the example. What an incredible example we have. It says he's God, but... He took on the human role. And he did it for us to be an example. It says he made himself nothing and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then God raises him up, and it'll be the same for us. God says, listen, I want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the goal. It's a hard road to travel. But it brings joy. It brings freedom. And that's what God wants for us. I'm going to close with a challenge. Make a decision to deny self on a daily basis. Just go after it. Attack this thing. Aggressively imitate Jesus. And let's change Milwaukee. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.